Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we are broadcasting from the top of the Haven Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, and that's 106.5 FM on your radio dial. You can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org, and we're live streaming now, so you can go to that website, uh, click a button, and listen to us anywhere in the city, anywhere in the county, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. So folks, again, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we've got some great guests for you today. Uh, We've got uh, Dr. Colleen Unroe, Ph.D., who is a professor at Dickinson University, and we have Parson Brown, who is a filmmaker uh, from Appalachia, but currently residing in Los Angeles, California. So, welcome, Colleen and Parson, to our show. Hi, thank you. So, uh, uh, folks, uh, you know, uh, Eastern Kentucky and the Appalachians had some severe flooding uh, recently, and that sort of compounded with other issues that are going on. I mean, this whole uh, thing about trying to bring things back to normal, uh, well, normal just isn't great. That's a problem. So, uh, Colleen, how would you like to start this conversation today? Well, I think um, a couple things that would be useful, kind of an update for folks that have been following the issue. Um, Sorry. since, you know, the, the heavy flooding that um, by some estimates have said that it's fi- like a 500-year flood, others have, um, I mean, I think they're trying to still assess really what level of damage, but we're talking very substantial flooding that occurred um, on the night between July 27th and 28th. Um, there were a roughly or almost 40 people that immediately died of drowning. Um, and, you know, it's been quite a ways away, right? But people are still dealing with the immediate effects of it. Um, you know, there's been a lot of work in terms of addressing immediate flood relief needs. Um, in some pockets, there's people that have been, you know, mucking mud and trying to address their homes or people that were totally displaced, um, you know, trying to figure out alternative housing, both short term and long term. So I think kind of like an overview of like where things are at in this current moment. And then also some of um, maybe a little bit of update about how some of some folks are, you know, organizing um, both both in terms of thinking about longer term Um, ways to rebuild the community and think about principles of just transition, but also thinking about how um, how to hold the companies and industry accountable that helped to that resulted in um, worse impacts or more extreme flooding. Um, I think it's fair to say that the flooding flooding would have happened regardless, um, because you can't have, you know, eight to 10 inches of rain in a seven hour time period and not have some um, 
some flooding in areas, but in the what we're finding is that in the areas that are surrounded by um, whether it's old strip mines or you know active strip mining and what's called uh, mountaintop removal mining, um, which is the most extreme form of of strip mining. Um, you know, there's there's legacy impacts of the coal industry that has made the a situation much worse. And so there are groups of people that are making those connections between the legacy of the coal industry and the worsening of flooding. And so um, Parson has been um, engaged uh, in terms of thinking about solidarity and ways that he can bring um, and others that are engaged in any kind of media film work, you know, photography. Um, so I thought we could talk about that. And then there's, uh, you know, an interesting book that just recently came out and he's, he's going to be talking with the author, um, soon. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about that. So that's kind of what I was thinking. So folks, uh, I think it's important to recognize that because of, you know, over a hundred years of deep mining and strip mining, the terrain, the topography of Eastern Kentucky uh, doesn't work uh, the same way it would if left to its own devices, if it were the, the natural world as uh, uh, when uh, Daniel Boone found it. Uh, and uh, uh, so it just doesn't uh, work that way. That is because of the, the changes made to the terrain and topography, that is, uh, if it was still in its natural state, half the rainwater that fell would have been absorbed. It would have been absorbed uh, by the foliage, uh, the woods, the plants, and the soil. Uh, and so essentially uh, you have twice as much runoff as you would uh, uh, previous to uh, the topography, the geography being tampered with by uh, uh, deep mining, strip mining, and mountaintop removal. So, uh, so Parson, uh, uh, as I understand it, you've been documenting uh, 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 Appalachia for over a decade now. So tell us um, what you've learned in over a decade of documenting uh, 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 Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia. And also, yeah. person, can you also share a little bit, like you grew up on the banks of the Shenandoah and um, experienced flooding yourself. So maybe share a little bit about that too. Sure. Yeah, so, uh, you know, my experience with, uh, with uh, Appalachia and environmental issues is a uh, kind of interesting because I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. I grew up in the mountains on the banks of the Shenandoah River. Um, you know, I, when I was just a baby, um, our house flooded for the first time. It's what they call there. They'll, they'll call it the 100 year flood or, or sometimes they refer to it as the thousand year flood, but it happened uh, to me twice in my childhood within under 20 years. And we lost our home twice. And so I understand, uh, man, there's just nothing, there's nothing like 
you know, recovering from a flood. Uh, it's just, it's devastating, especially when you, when it happens so quickly and you, you lose everything. You know, my, my early childhood was just, uh, stories my parents told about things that they would show me or they would refer to things like that were lost in the flood or you know everything was in reference to this great flood and then when i was about 12 or 13 um uh, the river rose again and this time uh you know we were a bit more prepared but um you know i witnessed it as a as a you know i wasn't a baby anymore and went through that process of cleaning up and you know, mucking through the mud and just, you know, what, what, just having to sift through your, you know, the leftovers of your soggy home. It's depressing. It's, it's awful. And so, uh, I can only imagine, uh, what, you know, I don't have to imagine what, what folks are going through in, in Kentucky, but I, I surmise that it's probably worse because in these communities, there are, uh, Coleslaw impoundments, and you know, like as Colleen was saying, legacy pollution. They're not just their cleanup is far more dangerous. Um, so I've been an advocate for Appalachia and you know environmental justice for for many years. Um, but uh, I actually got involved once I moved away from Virginia, and I went to college in Chicago, and we founded an organization called the Topless America Project to spread awareness of mountaintop removal coal mining. So a lot of my experience is, uh, you know, the, trying to convey the importance of being an ally, uh, you know, even from afar. Uh, in, as of, you know, now I'm based in Los Angeles, but, uh, you know, you can be an ally for, for Appalachia anywhere you are. And just as, uh, you know, like it's, it's part of Appalachian culture to always want to take care of your neighbors. So, yes, absolutely. And uh, that's one of the great things about the Appalachian people is that sense of families and large extended families, it's, it's being maintained. And so we do hope that that culture can, can be preserved because whenever you have these tragedies, there's a, a t sometimes a tendency to lose people. And there are even some uh, economists that uh, frequently testify in, in Frankfurt, which is the capital, that, uh, you know, when questioned about uh, providing services to people of eastern Kentucky, they simply say, well, the people of eastern Kentucky should move to the urban areas where it's more efficient to provide services. So that's one of the problems with uh, uh, rural areas all across the country is that the hospitals are shutting down. Uh, uh, and, and that's more part of the for-profit model is sort of destroying hospitals uh, uh, and ruining health care anyway. But uh, uh, but the, the hospitals are shutting down and, uh, you know, some communities went out in the emergency room and uh, anywhere close, anywhere nearby. So, uh, and, and as I said before, just uh, taking Eastern Kentucky or Appalachia back to normal. Uh, normal is not good. Um, people talk about going back to, you know, 2019 as if, as I say, 2019 was not good for a lot of people in the United States of America. So just going back to 2019 will not solve a lot of folks' problems. So, uh, 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 Colleen, uh, Parson, uh, any updates? Uh, 
I think the last time we we spoke uh, with Colleen, uh, I think somebody on the call said there were uh, 40 FEMA trailers in uh, in Eastern Kentucky ready to be. Uh, so what are we doing? As I understand that the state's rescue plan didn't have housing in it. So what are we looking at, Colleen? Yeah, so I mean, I think that there's a number of different things going on. And I, I think it's also um, important to note that um, the the response has been different uh, depending on which county folks are in. Um, so the, the flooding happened um, in a number of different counties. So we're talking Breathitt County, Perry County, Knott County, Letcher County were probably the most hard hit, but there was uh, a wider set of counties um, that were designated, um, you know, as, as heavily or, or as hit and, and um, areas that um, in, in various pockets, like Clay County wasn't hit overall, but there were certain communities that had a lot of damage. And so I, I think in terms of thinking about the response or the flood relief, it has varied county to county, and that's partly based on county level like emergency response teams i mean they're called different names in different counties um you know perry county i think is a good example where the county and the city government has worked pretty effectively together um and so in some ways there may be a little bit further along in starting to think about like what is the long term like how do we build more resiliency how do we continue to address the areas that were most heavily hit um like for example earlier this week um there was a convening a meeting um uh in perry county where you know there was various committees that were set up and and you know folks were like exploring you know different aspects of long-term flood relief um i think that the other thing that makes perry county which the county seat is hazard um hazard is one of the more um populated um like communities i mean it's not like a you know booming metropolis like we're still talking a rural community um i don't know the exact n numbers but it's it's roughly a size of like 5,500 residents um but uh you know, the hazard is also kind of a, a hub in the sense that there are a number of nonprofits in the area, like the Housing Development Alliance and um, the North Fork Local Foods um, Group. You know, uh, the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky is based in Hazard, or they have a, an office there, Mountain Association, which does um, a variety of different community development work. I mean, they work. Mountain Association works within the region, but but I think by the very nature of, of um, Hazard having more nonprofit infrastructure, it means that things look a little bit different. Um, and, uh, you know, Whitesburg is the county seat in Ledger County. They, um, you know, talking with Herbie, Herbie Smith, who is a, a longtime filmmaker at Apple Shop, um, in the immediate aftermath of that, um, he was saying, oh, I, I asked him, you know, I, how does this compare to the 1977 flood? You know, and, and I think that in various communities across the region, not just in eastern Kentucky, but in, you know, Virginia, um, where Carson is from, West Virginia, people have reference points of like, oh, the flood this particular year, you know, and 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 it becomes part of the like community history. And, and so 1977 um, across the region, it was a very um, 
there were there was like a really um, stark amount of flooding that happened, um, and and so it becomes like kind of a reference point for folks. And so when I asked Herbie, you know, how does this com- how did this flood compare to the '77 flood? And he was like, oh, it was much worse. And then he went back to a flood that happened before that, 20 years before that, 1957, which was like even more devastating than the '77 floods. And he said, yeah, it's, it was worse than the '57 flood. And I think it's it's um, noteworthy that that not only did Herbie say that. Um, you know, in, in Letcher County in Whitesburg, um, then talking with Sam Sizemore, who was on, um, on the podcast, you know, uh, you know, a while back, um, he's a longtime resident of Breathitt County. He was, you know, the principal at Caney school, Caney school, um, you know, and ended up closing at some point because of, you know, consolidation of schools and things like that. Um, but he, he also said, Oh, you know, 19, 1957 flood. It was worse. This was worse than that, you know? And so, um, that being that's said, interesting that that's interesting you should say that because I just you know I should have I almost said but didn't but 1985 and 1996 uh, were the two floods that I was referencing and anybody in the Shenandoah Valley um, can well, you know can concur like you know those are big dates people reference them in conversations to this day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so and and like I was saying, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good example and it's, it's different depending on where you're at, you know, but it become it's, it's part of the community history, you know? And, um, and so, you know, uh, Whitesburg also has, you know, maybe comparatively more nonprofits than say, um, not County, although the Heinemann Settlement School is in Knott County, the Appalachian Artisan Center. I mean, those those uh, inco- important community assets and nonprofits were very heavily hit. Um, not County, I think, would be accurate to say had the highest fatality rate, um, and and all up and down the Troublesome Creek, uh, which then goes into Breathitt County. So all up and down um, Highway 476, uh, which was the old main road, there was substantial flooding in there, you know, and it's partly because of topography. And then also the way Sam Sizemore described it is that the the flooding hit worse or first in Knott County. And then as you get a bunch of debris in the creeks, then it's kind of, it's like, you know, with like a beaver building a dam, you know, like when there's a bunch of stuff in the creek, then it makes the flooding worse down the line. And so um, the way he described it, it was like, well, Knott County got hit first, but then as it came down towards Towards, you know, the, um, I guess the North Fork that it, uh, I sometimes mix up nor- where the North Fork versus the Middle Fork of the Kentucky River are, but, but it's like these little creeks kind of feed into bigger creeks that feed into, you know, the Kentucky River. And so as the debris from Knott County, like trickled down the, the troublesome creek, then it, it, um, made you know, the flooding worse. And then as it got to Breathitt County, um, there were parts of Highway 15, which is one of the main thoroughfares, like got flooded out, you know, like people could not get through part of between Hazard and Jackson, um, because the, the main road, you know, was, was flooded out, um, in the immediate. Um, but, but Breathitt County by comparison has less nonprofit infrastructure and, 
I mean, I think it'd be fair to say if you if t- you talk to a local Breathitt County and that they're the county government, the I mean, the, that county in general was hit very hard, but also the response from the, you know, the various levels of government was not um, not as cohesive as Perry County, I guess I could say. Um, and and there's less nonprofit infrastructure. So there's still I mean, and, and also like across the region, it depends on which county or community you're in. You know, I mean, there are people that are still mucking out mud. There are folks in, um, up at Carfork Lake Campground, there are trailers up there. You know, um, I know that that you know, in terms of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, they're doing outreach around uh, voter registration and and but also cognizant of the fact that like, you know, when you've lost everything, like voting is the last thing on your mind. You know, but um, but Paula Parker, who is a KTC member in Perry County. Um, Uh, like went out there with a couple other folks to, you know, just to check in. And she had a very compelling story that she shared at the the local um, KFTC chapter meeting the other night that Parson um, participated in. And and maybe Parson, do you want to talk about that story, what you recall of it? Because you said it when we were talking afterwards, you were like, gosh, that story was, it, it impacted you, right? Yeah, no, I think it's just really compelling that, you know, one thing that I've um, always found, um, you know, just like really heartening for, uh, you know, in Appalachians in general is that like, especially folks that are organizing and on the ground, like we've, we have, we have one, one mission and then so often like we're just you know, care about each other that we find ourselves in these situations. And, you know, Paula ended up in a, yes, she described like just this like really heartwarming conversation with somebody who had just been through so much in his life. And uh, also um, was, you know, like reeling in the turmoil after flooding. Um, And, you know, it's not, it wasn't that his, uh, you know, it wasn't that the the flood is what had, you know, been the most devastating thing in his life. It was just that in, in Appalachia, like, you know, like we, one thing after another. Um, and I, I think that was, you know, like really, it, it struck me. It was just like, it was very real. And I, I love that there's people on the ground having those conversations with folks. And it's... You know, that's that stemmed from a conversation that was supposed to be voter registration. Um, but the thing is, like, there are we do need to we absolutely need people to to vote and encourage people to vote. But a lot of people just need to be heard, I think. And, uh, you know, to be listened to, because that is something that generally in Appalachian communities, people don't feel listened to um, they don't feel like their politicians are paying attention or are you know always working in their best interests and for good reason well yeah politicians rep- good- go ahead yeah I mean it's a good point and just thinking back to her sharing that story you know she went in to talk about voter registration and she said that she and another KTC member um, sat with this man um, for an hour and a half, two hours, and just listened in and, and was there and present and like 
created the space for for him to share his story and know that he wasn't alone in the pain of the story and um and and the, that particular gentleman had um, struggled with addiction and had been clean for a number of years and he said like thank god that you guys came today because all i've been thinking about with all of this stuff not just the flooding and losing the home like he'd lost his mom through a devastating situation recently as well is like all i've been thinking what he, what he said to them after a while was like all i've been thinking about today is getting high and the fact that you guys came and like heard my story and like i mean i don't know that he used the language of heard my story but like that that you are here um i i know that i can keep going in in his path of recovery which you know i mean that's what it's about you know what i mean like being there through all of it for people you know regardless of whether they're your neighbors or friends but like complete strangers and i think that that's one thing that that i've seen and heard across the region is like people being there for each other and now I'm getting like choked up thinking about it, but like, you know, it's that, that's a piece of it, you know, like people have been traumatized, whether it's them losing their home. I mean, I heard a st story in clay hole where it was like, they, they realized, I mean, they, that, uh, you know, this single mom and her two kids were trying to get out, get up to higher ground so they could be safe. And they're, they realized that, that, um, that their next door neighbors were inside a trailer that was getting washed away, you know? And, and at the point at which she realized that her, the whole neighbor's family, like four people were like in that trailer, like, and I didn't, I mean, I've been connecting woman for, you know, several weeks and had no idea how devastating not only her personal experience was, like, I can't even imagine being a mom and like, the, I mean, the kids trying to help, like, just the terror of that moment. And then also realizing that your neighbor's home is getting washed away. And, and the neighbor was the, you know, the family of four mother passed away like drowned she was one of the drowning victims um the daughter um who is mentally challenged um or i think that's how you would describe it intellectually challenged um you know had been on the missing list for a long time i i honestly don't know if she's been found yet or not but like i can't even imagine like the father or the the daughter that made it out like having lost your home and your spouse and your child, you know, adult child, like, I just can't even imagine. And so, I mean, just so many people sharing, like holding these like traumatic stories and like not even being able to express it to other people that are trying to be supportive until, you know, there, there's just a lot. And so I think that that's an, that's a piece of it as well. And then like going back to the example, um, of the, the man and, um, over at Carfork, um, you know, campgrounds, like he was, he was angry because he was like, yeah, sure. There's some politicians that are like, 
getting up there and like trying to be helpful in the city. And we're talking like city of Whitesburg. Nobody's come up to my holler. Nobody's come out here to like talk to me. Like, why do I not matter? You know what I mean? Why does, why does my community story not matter? And, and like, and I mean, across the board, it's striking how few elected officials that, you know, like Senator, state Senator Brandon Smith is one of the few exceptions to that. I mean, there, you know, Angie Hatton has done work in Letcher County. She's a state rep, but, um, I mean, he's getting call after call after call and not even, and he's like helping folks, not even in his district because he's like a, a good person and like wants to help people and, and people are giving them his number because they know that he's not going to leave them behind. And like, that's not okay that only a handful of, of elected officials are actually getting off their tuckuses and like helping out you know when when people i know who aren't trained as emts or anything Colleen, i Colleen, mean i want to thank you all for being here with us uh we're so blessed and favored to have uh dr colleen unroe here with us and, and parson brown you guys have but been say before you wrap it up there is hope and and appalachian folks are resilient and like folks inside and outside the region like Carson are are helping to like amplify folks stories and by golly we're going to get through this together thank you so much